This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Eggerbo here with Graham Williams. We have a fantastic show today, kind of a wearables uh, theme. Uh, later on in the hour, we'll be talking with a really cool Vancouver sneaker company called Vessi. They uh, make some really cool fashionable knit sneakers that uh, have all sorts of great technology built into them to make them waterproof, comfortable, and uh, super light. Yeah. So we'll uh, be talking with one of the co-founders there. We'll also be chatting with one of our team members who tried out a new posture wearable device. I think we can all look at ourselves and uh, say that we're probably not having the best posture when we sit, uh, you know, looking at computer screens or even walking. Like a lot of times I'll be walking down the street and I'm thinking, I'm not even standing up straight. It's funny because as soon as you said posture device, both of us sat up straight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll uh, be talking to our uh, team member, Rav. He's actually had one of these devices on his back for the past 18 days, and he's going to give us the lowdown on uh, how well it worked. Very cool. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, And we'll be talking uh, with a a doctor about how to potentially cheat death with technology. Can we do that? Is there technology coming down the pipe that will eventually one day allow us to not just extend our lives, but live forever? Well, you might be surprised at the answers. Let's look at some of the uh, tech news uh, in uh, in the world right now. Uh, and this was kind of an interesting one. You've probably seen uh, some of these uh, stories. Uh, a study has shown that uh, sensors or wearables uh, have the potential to detect hidden anxiety and depression in young children. So this was a really interesting experiment where they essentially looked at stress responses in a group of children and children that had been previously diagnosed with anxiety or stress issues. And when they were introduced into a scenario that may or may not have been stressful, they had this terrarium that was covered at the end of the room, uh, which had a snake in it. And even before... (laughs) Wow, hey, let's terrorize the kids. Now, it was a fake snake, but but even before uh, they... They, they got to this point, uh, children who had previously been diagnosed with anxiety or depression did exhibit some very consistent uh, things that, were be, that we could detect with these sensors. Now, this was a small study, and they say with this uh, that they, they're really looking to re- sort of re-engage with this, this research and do it with a larger study group. But what we're starting to see is that we can actually measure certain things that would show, uh, you know, that people who have not been diagnosed could possibly be diagnosed with some of this information. I think that's a really cool thing uh, because we do have a lot of these pieces of technology on us right now. I think both you and I are wearing smartwatches. Yes. Right? And these smartwatches can detect things like our altitude, how how high up we are on the planet. They can detect our heart rate. They can detect barometric pressure. So there, there are some cool things. There's data here that we're gathering. And the more that we can use these sensors to do this, I think the better. And especially when we're dealing with children, because in a lot of cases, um, getting kids to open up to therapists, getting them, getting parents to even get their kids to therapists could be a challenge. So being able to have, you know, these wearable sensors that then could, you know, feasibly report back to parents and say, hey, you may actually want to get your kid to, uh, to a doctor to, to speak about this could actually be a great way of heading off childhood anxiety and childhood depression. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing them develop that technology, and, and hopefully that does help uh, a lot of these, uh, these youngsters. Uh, the next story we're looking at, self-driving cars. I mean, we've been waiting for this forever, like since I was 
five. I'm like, I'm going to get a self-driving car one day. Well, the technology is definitely uh, here. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not foolproof yet. They're still obviously working out the kinks. I think we're still 10, 20 years away from like true autonomous cars that really can drive themselves while we're sleeping or drunk in the car. That's what I want. I want to be able to drink and then have my car. And have the car take care of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So these cars, they have all sorts of different types of sensors on them. They've got cameras, they've got radar. uh, And so the idea there is that they're looking out at the road and all around the vehicle thousands of times a second just to see, you know, if there are pedestrians or other cars, birds that they're actually keeping in the right lane. Well, this is a, uh, a study, uh, and this is kind of uh, a troubling one. Uh, they say that uh, a lot of these self-driving car systems have trouble detecting darker skin. Mm-hmm. So that is not good. They say that there's uh, a 5% uh, uh, more likelihood that uh, you might not be detected properly. So, And, th- and this, is, this really comes down to the, the ability to reflect light. And, you know, um, the, the lighter your skin tone, the more light is reflected and absorbed by these particular cameras. So there's sort of a threefold approach here. Um, one, we need to make sure that our camera technology uh, is better. Uh, two, we need to be using more than just camera technology. There's a company in California called Ambarella that is working on a detection technology that's entirely camera-based. And quite frankly, it's my opinion here and my opinion alone, but I don't think that that's actually sufficient. I think we need to be it's using It's going to be a number of different things, right? Yeah, like LiDAR, radar, all that sort of good stuff. The third thing is, uh, I think we actually need to be bringing in a wider network of things. So it's actually not just the car working alone. It's connected to all the other vehicles on the road and, not, and getting all that information. And not just vehicles, but we could actually, with 5G networks, look at things like smartwatches and phones and smart clothing as being able to report its position and have that back to a network. Now, we do want to maintain privacy, so this thing has got to be anonymized. I know, but wouldn't that be good, like, uh, as we're getting all these self-driving vehicles and trucks and flying cars, uh, to give you that extra sense of self-preservation, you know, activating that feature on your Apple Watch, for example, that, hey, I'm here. (laughs) You know what I mean? Don't hit me. Don't hit me, right? And well, and this actually leads to an efficiency that we could find with self-driving cars as well. Because if you get into your self-driving car and you declare your destination, there's now an AI system in the background that's talking to all the other cars and says, you know, all of these people need to be in this place at this time. They can actually slow you up and speed you down so that we're having things like zipper merges happening in real time. We could actually see the eradication of stoplights because cars are actually just threading through each other at full speed. Wouldn't that be freaky? I would love it. it wouldn't that be freaky? <laughs> but it's interesting. You know, I, I've talked with the folks at Intel because they're really heavy into this uh, autonomous vehicle and, and artificial intelligence space. And uh, it's just interesting what they're doing. They bought this is- Israeli company uh, for their autonomous driving uh, technology. But they're outfitting thousands of uh, trucks and buses uh, with all this, uh, all these sensors and cameras that are constantly driving around, obviously, because buses do that. And they're using that information for the network and artificial intelligence. So it's always updating the road conditions. So that bus going down Hastings sees that there's a, uh, construction happening. Uh, it, it sends that into the network so that any other autonomous vehicles already know that that position is compromised. Yeah, and we have this kind of happening with Waze right now. Um, You've probably used the Waze app in the past, and users can report this sort of stuff. When we get down to it, though, piloting these, you know, multi-ton chunks of metal down the road, the weakest link is actually between the steering wheel and the driver's seat. It's us, right? We're good. 
but we're never going to be as good as computers are going to be. And I actually think it's in the relatively near future. I think we can actually start offloading a lot of this decision-making to computers. The biggest thing is basically making sure that they have the rules to know that it's actually better to stop and be safe rather than go. The biggest thing, though, is going to be when a computer is challenged with a situation that it can't win. You, you remember Star Trek? Yes. Right? So in Star Trek 2, they talked about the Kobayashi Maru, the unwinnable scenario. What happens when there's is it no your goal, good decisions? Is, is, is it your goal to, to get a Star Trek reference into every single show? Yes. Please watch Star Trek Discovery. It's on Crave TV. You know you want to see it. But in any case, that's really what it comes down to, is what happens when we now have a computer making a decision where someone's going to lose a life, where someone's going to be injured, and it has to decide who. So this is really, these are the ethical dilemmas that we get into with self-driving cars, with AI, that we have to solve before we do step into this future. You're listening to Get Connected right now. We're talking about some of the tech news out there this week. This was super interesting. Uh, Google has uh, announced that they're killing political ads during the Canadian election instead of complying with transparency laws. And uh, this is a uh, law that the uh, Canadian government uh, um, actually passed, I think, Bill C-76. And it uh, requires uh, any uh, of these online services like Google to keep a written record of all political ads. Yes. And so Google's basically saying, no, we're not going to have any political ads during the election. Trying to spin a good story there. But the real story is that because there's just so much stuff happening, so many people buying these ads through their auction system, they have no way of keeping track of that in a meaningful way. Well, and I don't know that that's necessarily the case. That's what they've said. I disagree with that. I think Google's basically looked at it and said, there really is no win for us here. Right, because even if we do, even if we can control this, we are going to be under investigation no matter who wins the election and no matter which election it is. Now, Facebook has said, absolutely, we're going to take your money. Right? They 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 see an opportunity here. Um, I'm actually I, I'm in favor of Google's position here. I think Facebook should get the heck out of political advertising. Oh, 100 percent. It's I mean we saw the detrimental and deleterious effects of this in 2016. Um, we've seen it in a number of elections since, uh, both uh, in, you know in Canada and around the world. Uh, there are um, you know foreign state actors who are actively uh, trying to steer the way that our democracy works. And you know we've had regulations on newspapers, we've had regulations on television, and so basically having these regulations in place for digital advertising is essential, and really what I would love to see is a prohibition on it completely. Focus on the actual facts, focus on the debates, and let's not look at ads, right? Let's look at the actual facts, which you can get from the people who you are trying to elect. Talk to them. On their Facebook pages. On their Facebook pages. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk to a, a doctor about cheating death with technology. Is it possible? Well, you'll have to stay tuned to find out. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by Lennon Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Well, as uh, we spoke about uh, before the break, we're going to talk about technology and perhaps cheating death now or in the future to help us understand what technologies are available now. And coming down the pipe, we've uh, got our good friend, Dr. Sean Warmbecker. He's a ER doctor here in British Columbia. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so when we talk about, uh, I guess, cheating death, extending life, uh, this is kind of a form of what they call transhumanism. 
to some degree, yeah, the transhumanism being the idea of creating enhanced humans, um, improving either our cognitive capabilities or our physical capabilities or sometimes a little bit of both. How can we cheat death using technology? What are some of the different avenues? Well, I mean, we're, we're doing it more and more already. Sometimes it's as simple as uh, smart technology to make us remember to take our meds at the right time. <laughs> but, stupid, simple things like that. Yeah. yeah. Versus uh, sometimes it's more integrated. So the idea of um, you know, sensors that we can wear that can tell us in real time what our blood sugar is or um, you know, the, the concept of a, a, an implantable that um, gives you a constant stream of either a hormone or a medication. Um, and some of these things are, are things that have been around for a long time, um, but we almost haven't really appreciated just how much we are becoming one with the technology, whether it's a, uh, a, a, a hormone-eluting uh, IUD for contraception or uh, a pump for insulin in a diabetic. We're kind of at the beginning stages of it, though, don't you think? Like you know, when we're talking about these implantable type things becoming more cybernetic? Definitely, especially from the perspective that, um, at least for the time being, most of these devices still rely on batteries that need to be replaced um, or are external to our, our physical bodies. Um, but I think we're going to be seeing with different forms of charging. You know, we have our, our Qi charging already for many of our cell phones that we might start to see this for implantable devices. So now I'm just going to stick my head beside the wall and wirelessly charge whatever device is in my head. Potentially. And, you know, yeah. it sounds silly, but when you compare that to the idea of having a pacemaker, for example, and knowing that that battery is going to run out at some point, um, this changes that significantly. I guess you could almost build those chargers into, like, your bed so you charge overnight while you're sleeping. It could be in your bed. It could be in your car. Um, it could even be with some brands um, uh, a phone where your phone already has that capability to deliver and receive. Yeah. Um, how, how far away, like, what are some of the things that you're kind of seeing down the horizon, you know, as far as these cybernetic type implants? You know, you know we talked about pacemakers and insulin pumps. Like, what's, what's the next level? I mean, you know, it, it's hard to guess. I mean, we're seeing a lot of tech relating to uh, neurological conditions yep. um, where people can have um, both uh, receivers and sensors um, put into their bodies. Um, the tech surrounding um, cochlear devices for the hearing impaired is, is changing at a very, very rapid rate. Um, we may very well see something in that, in that nature when it comes to uh, the visually impaired as well. Um, Helping them see again or, exactly. or better. Exactly. I mean, there, there, there already has been some experimental tech that you know, allows people to see the difference between dark and light. Um, it's just a matter of now improving the resolution. What are some other ways uh, technology is uh, playing a part in extending our lives? We talked, uh, I think, uh, um, before on the show about CRISPR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell our listeners what that's well, all that, about. That's an interesting one, and it, it brings up a lot of ethical quandaries. So uh, CRISPR is um, a new technology that basically uh, allows an enzyme to be inserted into a cell, cut out unwanted sections of DNA, um, and then allow the body to essentially repair that. How does it know how to do that? Um, basically, you can look for certain markers in the genetic chain, and you attach that to the enzyme. Yeah. Um, so if you know a certain um, sequence that's related to a disease process, then you can simply sort of do a... Like a, a cancer destroy. or HIV or something like that? Exactly. I yeah. mean, um, well, not HIV, but more um, a, a gene that could help with resistance to HIV. Got it. Okay. Now, the difficulty right now uh, is in... Um, 
putting this into an adult human yes. and uh, knowing that it's going to necessarily target every cell that's involved. Um, so the thought more now is whether or not this could be used preventatively if you're, say, a carrier for a, um, a, a very sort of catastrophic genetic disease like some sort of um, muscle disorder that results in wasting and early death. Parents could have this, in theory, done to their, uh, their embryo prior to implantation. Obviously, number one, it brings up a lot of ethical quandaries, and it brings up that, that scary specter of Didn't eugenics. Didn't something happen in China, a, a scientist there? Uh, it did. So, yeah, explain that. Well, so China has some of the most lax um, rules and ethics regarding modification of human embryos, and uh, allegedly uh, a scientist in China um, uh, modified a gene that he claimed he was doing primarily to um, confer resistance to HIV. Uh, this was done to um, twins, twin embryos, which were then apparently um, implanted and uh, brought to term and delivered. Now, the, the, the sort of interesting shatter, and who knows how much is truth and how much is, is fiction, uh, is that the same gene he in fact probably chose because in mo- most models it um, results in markedly enhanced cognition. Really? So, so these are going to be like super babies, potentially. That's, that's the possibility. The yeah. problem is um, we really still are very much in the infancy of understanding how gene expression works. So while we might be thinking, oh, this is great, this allows us to be more resistant to one organism, it might actually, such as HIV, it might make us actually more uh, prone to other things, whether that be cancer or other infectious diseases. And most models and human models are definitely not the same. We're talking with Dr. Sean Wormbecker. He's uh, an ER physician here in British Columbia, all about uh, tech to uh, potentially extend our lives. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. We still have a lot more to talk about on today's program. Kind of uh, got a bit of a wearables uh, theme. We'll be uh, talking shoe tech later on in the hour. And uh, also, if you've got bad posture, we might have a wearable device that can help you out. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. We're continuing our uh, wearables theme today. I'm going to talk about uh, another device uh, that uh, we've been trying out in the Get Connected studios, the Upright Go. And we've got one of our uh, team members here. His name is Rav Lech. Thanks for coming on the show. So, Rav, we made you our guinea pig. Yes. Uh, just for the listeners at home, you are super tall. And very tall. Very tall. And you sit on a computer probably 20 hours a day. You're a graphic designer and... Uh, and I watch you all the time, and your posture is not great. No, no, I've been um, in the industry for around six years. And if I'm not sitting at my desk, I'm probably walking to my desk or, or lying down sleeping. So, yeah, my posture is I'm six foot four, and my posture has been terrible for you know, nearly 10 years now. And people um, struggle to contemplate that I am six foot four. It's, <laughs> it's come to that point. So um, You're more like five seven when you're so yeah. over. Um, so we, we got this little device in, it's called the Upright Go, and uh, explain to our, our listeners what it looks like and, and how you put it on you. I'd say it's the size of a USB stick, maybe double the size, a tiny little white pebble. And um, I mean, firstly, I was looking into a few different devices. Um, there's a, there's a, a shoulder strap that you can wear, physical strap that pulls your shoulders back. But th- what appealed to me about this is it's just an adhesive strip on on this Bluetooth device that sticks to the back center of your back between your shoulder blades, and you just you turn it on and it connects to the app on the phone. And so, how does it work? So you stick this thing on your back, uh, you pair it up with your smartphone through the app, 
And so what happens? So you download the app, you pair it with uh, via Bluetooth. Um, it, they give you adhesive strips, quite a few adhesive strips in the box and alcohol wipes to keep, uh, keep the hygiene. And then when, you, when you, you pair it with your device, you set the posture. So you go on the app, you, set your, you stand up straight, set your posture, somewhere comfortable, not too extreme, because you know, no one really walks around like that. Um, when you set that, it will then you put in your personal information and it will give you a goal and a, and a target to reach. And mine was 18 days, well, it still is 18 days. And when I set my posture and I set what I'm doing, either sitting down, actively moving or constantly walking, um, it will track on the app. It has a little diagram of a man. And if I start to start to slouch, it will go past. It's a little, it's like, a, I don't know how you'd explain it, Mike. It's like a wheel. And if when I start slouching, if I go beyond that point, um, it will start vibrating. A gentle vibration, not, nothing to... Oh, I was hoping it would like electrocute you. Well, that's what that's that's why I bought this one instead. <laughs> but um, it'll start vibrating, you know, kind of like your phone's ringing, and it's just a gentle reminder to to you know stop doing stop slouching. But but the amazing thing is, what I noticed was I was slouching more than I thought I was. You know, and the thing about this is kind of mentally training me as well as physically training. I think the mental bit is the is the hard part to get over. So when you start slouching, the device can detect that. Uh, and it vibrates, and so you then stand up or sit up straighter. Yeah, it starts, it starts pulsing, and also you can set the delay time if you really want. It sets the delay, so if I'm slouching three seconds in, it will start to count down and then start vibrating. In case I'm, you know, in case I'm just bending over or grabbing something, um, you can you can alter that if you if you need to. You can set also, you know, the the kind of um, the angle of the yeah the, the angle yeah the angle you can set the angle and and the delay if you want but yeah it will start vibrating and then when you set up it will stop and you know it can be yeah it's good so when you first started wearing it uh, like how many times a day do you think it started vibrating oh I mean I killed the battery pretty quick <laughs> <laughs> so dozens of times a day yeah I was like um, I was getting a little first first day it was great uh, my colleague. Nigel thought I was wearing new shoes because uh, he, he said I looked taller, which is, uh, which is, is great to hear, but also says I, I've been doing it wrong for a few years. Um, I killed the battery because was, it was just vibrating constantly. It felt like I was getting a phone call. <laughs> it was a phone call, a heart attack. I couldn't tell. But um, afterwards, I'm getting better at it. It's vibrating. I mean, it's vibrating throughout this interview, Mike, but that's just because I have really bad posture. But this is, like I said, mentally... P- Posture is not all about your physical condition. It's also a mental condition as well. Sometimes if you're around a lot of shorter people or you're just, you know, you don't want to seem too tall, you will naturally slouch. It's just, it's just a thing. So for me, mentally and physically, this is working on both fronts. And so, so far, like, what are your overall thoughts? Do you think it's actually helping you? Do you think you can continue without it? Oh, most definitely. Like, like I said, it's got 18 days. Um, the first few, it's about an hour, 30 minutes. It says to take a break as well. Don't You don't have to constantly keep using it. Um, but it set me a, a, a training period throughout the day. So for that first hour, I've got training period where it's actively, constantly telling me. Then it will switch to tracking where I, it will just keep recording. That way I can look back and see how I did. And it will also tell me how I did, which is perfect. So you're, sl- you're slouching this much at this point in the day. 
And then for the 18 days, hopefully the training will kick in. I'm finding it better already. And then after that, I could use it just for tracking, tracking thing and, and then move on from there. Hopefully I won't need it anymore, but, but it's a genuine, it's a great little product. It's definitely something useful around the office. Well, we're going to have to check in on you in, uh, in a few weeks. Uh, the name of it again? Upright Go. Upright Go. That was uh, Rav Lech. He's uh, one of our Get Connected team members trying out a cool little posture wearable that you put on your back and it, it vibrates to let you know when you're slouching to train you to sit and stand up straight. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Well, uh, continuing on our uh, theme of wearables, uh, wanted to uh, talk about uh, a cool Vancouver company that's uh, changing the way people buy shoes and cool shoes uh, at that. They're called Vessi Footwear. We've got uh, a couple of the uh, the founders on the line. We've uh, got Tony Yu and Andy Wang. Thanks for uh, joining us on the show today. Hey, thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Uh, I wanted to chat with you guys because uh, I, I find this interesting. You know, traditionally, I think for hundreds of years, uh, you know, as far as footwear, we would uh, typically uh, walk into a uh, uh, a brick and mortar store, a shoe store, to uh, purchase uh, our shoes. Uh, but you guys are doing it a bit differently. Uh, you're doing it uh, online, uh, and uh, wanted to talk about that, but also the type of uh, kind of uh, running shoes you guys have uh, as well, and the technology that uh, is incorporated into uh, making them. Uh, you know, wearable. Uh, so let's start with the uh, the, the shoes uh, themselves. Uh, tell our, our listeners what makes your runners different. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we started this company just about a year ago now, and the initial idea behind this the shoe or this company was to create something really comfortable, something that you could wear all the time. Uh, being in Vancouver, we found ourselves always changing through different pairs of shoes. Right. So in the winter, when it rains. Uh, when it snows, we're always switching into, into boots, heavy, clunky boots. Uh, we didn't like that, so we ended up creating something for ourselves, uh, lightweight, comfortable runners uh, that you could wear all year round. And it had to be, obviously, 100% waterproof, but also not compromise the breathability aspect so that your feet don't trap in the sweat. Uh, what we developed was this really innovative material uh, called Dymatex. And what that does is it, it insulates your foot in the wintertime, but at the same time adds a cooling effect in the summer. But it's also 100% waterproof and extremely stretchy. So it feels like a, like a nice cozy sock, if you will. Well, I, I found this interesting uh, because, uh, I, I, you know, in the past couple of years, I've, I've started buying, you know, shoes online, uh, which sounds weird because you can't try them on or anything. Uh, but I, I bought a pair of uh, Allbirds. You might be familiar with that shoe company out of the U.S. But I came across yours, and what really uh, made yours appealing to me, because like you said, uh, I'm in Vancouver too, and it rains here all the time. And the fact that uh, you could make like waterproof kind of knit shoes uh, that were also breathable, uh, I thought that was really interesting technology. And uh, and I just thought I could wear these all the time, and I don't have to wear big gumboots when I'm when I'm going to work. Exactly. Yeah. So like with that premise, like you wanted something you could wear, you know, to work um, for that quick hike, uh, taking your dog out. And then maybe up to Whistler, for example, where it's all slushy and, you know, it could be your shoe to get you to and from the village. Um, but at the same time, wear it around the summer where it's still dewy in the morning. Uh, 
But yeah, if Andy actually developed this technology, the the diamond text material. So uh, if you have any questions for on that, like I think you can really dive into how, long, how it works. Yeah, Andy, how long does it take to develop something something like that? I mean, it's not easy having something that's waterproof and and breathable uh, as well, especially for footwear. It took place about three years ago for us. Yeah. And it's a lot of uh, prototyping. I think we've gone through maybe a hundred different variations to come to where we are at right now. Well, I guess yeah, so I mean, the, co- the company only started a, a year ago with the actual product launch, but the material has been in development for, yeah, well, it's like three years. Yeah. So, what I, quite a bit of time. Yeah, what I found interesting, you know, when you say something, you know, like some shoes are waterproof, uh, I mean, there's some cool waterproof shoes out there, but they're not always the most stylish things. These are actually cool-looking runners, uh, uh, you know, pretty pretty fashionable. Uh, I want to talk about how you sell them, though, as well. Um, online. Uh, you guys don't uh, have a, a brick-and-mortar store that I, I know of. You sell all of these through the Internet. How, how did you come to that uh, path to sell these? Yeah, so I think with any new brand uh, and new technology, it's, uh, with our day and age, it's easier to educate and get people to understand what your product is uh, with the reach of the internet, right? So um, having unique style videos um, and driving people to, to like understand what the product is about, how it can make your life better, uh, and then also the technology is better done uh, through, a, through a more global reach uh, versus say, retail locations. Um, of course, like younger brands without a proven product, uh, especially with ours, which is, we've kind of created an entirely new industry for, for bigger retailers to pick us up. From the get-go, it, was, it would, would have been very difficult um, because we don't have that proven proven model. Um, so, you know, out of necessity, it was we were driven to doing it online, uh, which has worked extremely well for us. So that whole education piece, plus with all with all the resources that we have for uh, logistics companies and getting it to you um, in a timely manner and offering like free returns, free shipping, um, that's that model has worked for us. Um, and of course, like we we just pass on the savings to uh, the customer because, as I'm sure you're aware, like if you go through like distribution or retailers, um, those costs. Uh, inflate significantly, right? Yeah, um, get, getting rid of the so middle. We're able to create a really, yeah, we're able to create a really premium product uh, with really cool technology at like an affordable rate. So if you look at like typical waterproof runners, um, you're looking at like two hundred dollars plus. Um, but we're even a step ahead of that. We're, we're waterproof. We're stretchy, really comfortable, lightweight, and we're breathable. And we still come in uh, at a much lower rate. So that's one of the things that we can do. I think providing that value to to basically Vancouver or, or any customer is the way that um, we want to move forward. And, and that's the way, like, I think we've grown. And I think it's, it's really resonated with um, our, our, our audience base and customers. We're talking with Tony Yu and Andy Wang from Vessi Footwear, a, a cool... Uh Running shoe company based out of uh, Vancouver, selling their uh, waterproof, uh, breathable uh, runners uh, around the world. Uh, do you do you market primarily through Facebook ads? Uh, are there any other mediums that you you work with? We do a lot of paid digital, 
so Facebook, Instagram, uh, Google, uh, the, the usual stuff. But more recently, we've done experience centers. So we've had some locations go up in Vancouver, uh, which we've subsequently sold out. Um, so we've taken that online demand and we've channeled it offline. So a place where someone can come in, touch, feel, try on the product and really experience like how it's different. Um, so that's worked really well for us. We're looking to expand across the country now, Toronto, uh, and then down to the States, New York, with these experience centers, we're calling them, and really getting our shoe out into the customers, like, I guess, on their feet. Um, where can people find out uh, where to get more information about these shoes? If you type in waterproof shoes on Google, we'd probably pop up. Or just go on go on Google, type in Vessi, V-E-S-S-I, and yeah, we should be we should be right up there. Thanks thanks for joining us today, guys, and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. The guys were also uh, generous in uh, giving us a discount code for anyone who wants to uh, try the sneakers out. It's uh, get connected uh, when you're uh, shopping on their site, uh, and again, the discount code is get connected. And uh, I've tried them out; they're very cool, and uh, it's great to support a local Vancouver company. When we come back from the break, it's Amazon Skills time. We'll give you the latest skill for your Amazon Echo Alexa speaker. Back after this, you're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Graham Williams. A little bit of time left, and it's time for some Amazon Echo Alexa skills. What do we got? So this week's skill is actually, uh, it's from a content provider a lot like us. Uh, it's singularity.fm. Okay, so it's like a podcasting thing. This is a podcast thing. It's actually for a specific, specific podcast called the singularity.fm podcast. Uh, so the host's name is Socrates. Okay. It's not actually Socrates. Uh, it's a fellow named Nicola from Toronto, and uh, he likes to have challenging one-on-one conversations with uh, people who are educated in different sort of spheres. And so this is all about futurism, transhumanism. A lot of the stuff that we've been talking about today, you can find out more stuff like this uh, from, from these guys here. Some very interesting discussions. It's a bit of a different speed than what we've got going on here, but I thought that uh, you know our listeners would really appreciate being able to dig a little deeper into some of these topics. Uh, So you can find this skill on the Alexa store. It's the singularity.fm skill. And you can say, Alexa, play the latest singularity.fm episode. And it will play the most recent episode for you. So some really cool stuff there. Um, We're starting to see more content like this. And actually right now we're in the process of developing a Get Connected skill as well. So some really cool stuff where hopefully you can do this with us in the future. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show, every Sunday morning here on CKNW 980. 980. Uh, It's 10 a.m., full hour of all the latest and greatest apps. And we've got a great uh, interview with uh, one of our uh, experts, John Beeler, tomorrow. And he's going to be talking about how you can actually find all the conversations you've ever had with your Amazon Echo speaker and even get rid of them. (laughs) I think that's cool. I I didn't know they were kept somewhere. Privacy protection is good, so I would say thumbs up to that. Don't forget to hit our podcast as well. You can find our Get Connected or App Show podcasts on all your favorite podcast places like iTunes and Spotify. So we encourage you to subscribe and always keep connected. For Get Connected, this is Mike and Graham. We're logging off. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, 
TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.